Well, amen. It's nice to see you this morning. Thank you. It's good to see you. Oh, man. Well, before we get into this sermon, uh, this month is, uh, the whole month is about our We Can Reach More campaign, and I, I'm, I'm covering it every single week because um, people just with schedules, not everybody's here every Sunday, and so uh, if you're like, man, he keeps saying this every single week, then pat yourself on your spiritual back and be like, well, I must be here every week. Uh, uh, well, that's good because, and we just want to cover it every week so you know what we're doing and what we're going. Uh, the Reach More campaign is really simple. We want to reach more uh, to pay off our building so that we can reach more people by having more. Uh, we want to save money. We want to ensure our legacy, uh, move forward and create a solid place to worship that will be here until Jesus comes back. Last week, we talked about a church being an ark, uh, a safe place. And as the world continues to change, we want to solidify our place here in the city of Auburn. If we pay off our building early, we can save $400,000. Um, and I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money. Um, that's more than my house is worth. Uh, and so uh, we can uh, build churches. We can plant churches. We can do missions. We can have a solid home base here to change the world. Uh, we want to be a church that honors God and multiplies. Um, all the elders are in agreement and the pastors are in agreement that this is what we're doing. And the reason why we're doing this is because God asked us to do it and it's for him. Amen. Amen. And people ask, they say, why are we doing it? Because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And so the campaign is very, very simple. I want you to pray, to ask the Lord, God, how much would you have me sacrifice for you above and beyond the tithe on a monthly basis for 36 months? Um, and then we're going to start giving in January. And praise God, uh, um, my prayer, uh, our prayers that it would be uh, paid off within three years. Uh, if it's sooner, then you'll hear me stand up and be like, stop giving. We paid it off. Uh, <laughs> It's really interesting. If everybody just doubled their giving, we could pay it off in one year, um, that's, uh, which would be a whole lot easier. Uh, but, you know, 36 lets you stretch, it, st stretch out your payments. Um, <laughs> I, I want to I remind you guys that, and the people have asked this question, things may change in your life. You might get a job to move to Waxahachie or something, and you're like, you're like, man, do I still have to give? My wife, my, my life changed. It's like, dude, go to support that church. Whatever church you're at, man, be sold out for that church. You know, if you uh, lose your job and you're like, man, we made this commitment. Now my kids can't eat. It's like, dude, it's not that kind of party, man. It's just not at all. Uh, you don't have to do this. Um, nobody's gonna be like, well, you didn't give. So, you know, you're not allowed to, you're still not allowed to park in the parking lot regardless. Okay, so... I don't know who that thing's for, but don't park there. Um, <laughs> there's no pressure, man. Uh, just uh, pray and ask the Lord how much, and then we're going to uh, make a commitment together on November 24th, um, and then the giving starts in January. Um, and these messages uh, over the last couple weeks, you need to listen to them and over the month of uh, November because it'll just give you a, a, a very clear understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So now we're going to preach another sermon. Amen? All right, let's pray for this message. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Fathers, we've come into this place, Lord. We pray that we would not leave here the same way that we came. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. The title of today's message is Donuts for Jesus. Uh, why do we title it that? Because... You know, lima beans for Jesus just doesn't seem as exciting. Uh, the, the, ver, 
the verse that we're working off of, and uh, if you don't know this about me, I, 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 I don't eat breakfast. I don't eat until 12 o'clock every day. And so seeing pictures of donuts gets me really excited. But I mean, who likes donuts? Amen? Amen. Who likes lima beans? I pray for you guys. All right. Um, <laughs> Why, why do we, why do we uh, title it Donuts for Jesus? It's because in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and this is what this whole sermon is about. It says, therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And when you think about this building uh, campaign that we're doing to pay off this building, we're doing it all for the glory of God. Yes. But it's not just that that we should do for the glory of God. We should do everything for the glory of God. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it all for the glory of God. Amen? And so this message is to get you to understand and see why giving God, God glory it should be the most important thing in your life. At the same time as we walk through it today, it may be challenging and convicting for some of you. Good. Amen? And so some of you might, uh, might look inside your hearts today and you might feel a gnawing, and that's good, amen? When the, when, when the sermon cuts, you should say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm in a church that preaches the truth, amen? The first thing I want to ask you about this morning before we get to God's glory is, are you saved? Are you saved? I, I believe that the greatest mission field in America is in the local church because I believe that the American church, including Faith and Victory Church, has people that attend church that have not been saved. There are people that have not been converted. See, what happens is, is that people have been told or have believed something uh, about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, what it means to be born again, but they've never been converted. They've never changed from death to life. They've never moved from one place to another. And so they have this false sense of assurance that says, I must be saved because I wrote down something on a piece of paper. I signed an agreement. Someone told me I was saved instead of saying, Am I truly saved the Bible way? The Bible says you must be born again. It says you, 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 you've been born once and now you must be born again. You must be made new. You must have new life. You must become a Christian and get saved from your sin, redeemed, delivered, whatever it is, but you must be changed. You have to be changed. And if you haven't been changed and you haven't seen a change in your life, you should ask yourself and say, but am I really saved? And people say, well, well, pastor, why would you come to a church full of people that rearrange their schedules, come down to church on a Sunday that have been going to church for years and ask them why they should be, whether or not they're saved or not, is because I want you to go to heaven. I want you to know Jesus. I don't want to give you a false sense of assurance that says, well, if you go to church, you're saved. Or, or if you said a prayer one time, you're saved. Or because your grandparents took you to church, you're saved. No, the Bible says you must be converted. You must be changed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 11, Paul was dealing with the Corinthian church and they were having a lot of problems. And they dealt with the sin in their church and they moved it out. And, and, and he said this to them uh, uh, and he was actually admonishing them and, and encouraging them for their uh, uh, way that they had dealt with the sin in their church. And it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And when Paul said that, what he was saying to the Corinthian church is that I can see based on the wrong that you've done in your church that you actually cared about the fact that you had been in sin. Yes. 
and it produced a change inside of your life. It wasn't just merely, oh, hey, we did that, but we don't want to do that anymore. Let's just kind of move forward. No, there was an emotional, visceral response that said, you know what? I do not want to be that way anymore. He says, for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner and what diligence it produced in you. See, when you have true sorrow over your sin, when you've truly repented of your sin, when you've truly become a Christian, you become diligent in what you're doing for Christ. And the Corinthian church became diligent. What clearing of yourselves. When he says that, he says you've removed everything from inside of you that even had a hint of wrong, that had a hint of sin because you knew that that now that I've experienced Christ and I've received uh, salvation, I have sorrow over it and I want to clear myself. What indignation? The indignation was this idea of, I hate sin. I don't want anything to do with sin. Friend, if you do not hate sin, you should question whether or not you're saved. Because yes. sin, is, the wages of sin is death. And, and we see people that are in sin or lives that are in sin and, and then we applaud it and say, well, it's okay when it's not okay. Right. What fear, what vehement desire. See, so godly sorrow produces repentance to the point where you realize, I don't, I'm so afraid of what God would do to me as a sinner and now that he saved me from my sin, I never want to go back to that sinful state. Yeah. I want to have vehement desire for him. I want to have zeal vindication in all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter the corinthian church knew that my 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 life must be changed when i come to jesus i can't stay the same that i was and if you don't have any of that friend you should ask yourself am i saved was there a moment in your life that you came to god in sorrow for your sin that you asked him to forgive you and receive you. And when he did, were you elated that he had accepted you and did it change your life? My, my, my theory is that many people become Christians with no sorrow. They, 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 they become Christians because they just like, oh, well, that sounds good. I don't want to go to hell. I'll be a Christian. Instead of this idea that says, you know what? I've wronged God. I'm an offense to him. I deserve hell. I deserve destruction. But God in his grace and mercy forgives me through no work of my own and says, I receive you and I love you and I will make you new. But you go to him in sorrow. Oswald Chambers said this, one of the tests for determining of the, if the work of salvation in your life is genuine is, has God changed the things that really matter to you? If you still yearn for the old things, is it absurd to talk about being born from above? You are deceiving yourself. If you, if you were not a Christian and then you became a Christian, but you desire all the same things, from before you said you were a Christian, you should question your salvation. The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible says examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. That's what the Bible says. And so when we examine ourselves and we say, well, my desires haven't changed at all, you should question. See, I, and, and, and indulge me for a moment, if you will. I got saved when I was 15 years old. And when I got saved at a summer camp and I looked at this dude and I said, man, what's the next step? He said, get a Bible, read it, do what it says. I came back from summer camp. I got on my bicycle. I rode down to the Christian bookstore and I said, I got saved this weekend. And the guy said, I need a Bible. Which one do I need? No one drove me there. 
No, no one came and followed up with me. Nobody said, this is what you need to do. I had been changed. I would met Jesus. I've been born again. I moved from death to life. And I wanted everything that God had for me. My whole entire Christian life, no one has ever followed up with me. No one ever drugged me to church, told me to read my Bible, told me to worship God, told me that I needed to live a certain way. I was changed by Jesus himself. I went to his word and I said, God, change me by your word. And so I always question these people that say, oh, I'm saved, but you got to beat them like an old horse trying to get them to do the tiniest things for Jesus. How is that possible? The, the, the kid from high school that had not a good GPA somehow figured it out. How is that possible? How is that possible except ye be converted? Amen. I desired the things of God. No one discipled me. Jesus did. No one told me how to live. Jesus did. I knew that I had offended God with my life and I needed to be forgiven and live for him. The false conversions are the, well, I asked for forgiveness, but nothing changed. Well, it's because you probably were looking for a fresh start or a new beginning and you wanted to feel different. I wanted to find peace and I I wanted to find meaning. And, you know, I I thought maybe it would repair my uh, estranged relationship with this person. I became a Christian and nothing changed. The reality is a lot of times you become a Christian, your life gets worse. Because you got to deal with all the nonsense that you created before you knew Jesus. Sometimes your spouse doesn't come back and sometimes you don't get the job back and sometimes the money isn't brought back. But what's happened is you've been changed. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. I'm not the same person that I was when I was 15. Praise God. And the Christian version of that kid, man, he needed some help. But because of sanctification, God has been gracious and grown me throughout my life. But that moment sustained me. And I I don't know what your salvation experience was. Mine was very simple. The man said, do you want to crucify Christians or do you want to be crucified for Christ? And in my 15-year-old mind, I thought, well, I don't want to crucify Christians. I'll be crucified for Christ. That's what I'll do. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And a a pastor preaches about sin and the only people that get mad about it are the sinners. People that are trying to honor God with their lives. They're just like, Lord, look inside of me. Remove anything that's inside of me. Time after time, I hear great messages of the cross that bring me before God and say, God, remove anything inside of me that's not of you. The Bible makes it very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that your sins have, uh, have caused a separation between you and God. If you are not a Christian, you are dead in your sins and the wages of that sin will be death and you literally rest under the wrath of God. God's wrath rests on the sinner. And and you do not want to experience that wrath. And so the easiest way out of that wrath is to go to Jesus Christ and say, forgive me of this sin. And Jesus goes, okay, I forgive you. Come, be one with me. Experience life everlasting. And I will not hold those things against you. But you must turn away from your sins towards Christ. You have to have some sorrow. Have have you been cut to the heart for your sin? See, I've had sins in my life that that, that cut me so deep, I literally felt like I was going to lose my bowels because I was so ashamed. I was so uh, uh, disgusted with the sin that that, that had befallen me. Not befallen me, I chose it. I'm not going to say it that way. 
Acts chapter 2 talks about how when Peter and people say, well, you know, we want to see uh, conversions like what happened in Peter's day back at Pentecost, then let's have preaching that cuts to the heart. Because that's what it says. It says they were cut to the heart. They weren't like, I think these people are kind of cool. They got a service time that works with my schedule. And so I want to put to yourself because you're holding on to past things about who you used to be. I played football in high school. Now, I understand that at this point in my life, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of big. I wasn't this big in high school. Um, and, and I do, listen, all I preach is the truth. And so I'm going to tell you the truth. I was not good at high school football. <laughs> I was not. I know you people are like, man, if I was your size. And I'll tell you the reason why I wasn't good at high school football. Well, pr- first off, when I was a freshman, I was only about five foot nine and 165 pounds. And I was just not good. Like I just wasn't. The only the reason why I played football is because my friend Tyson said, hey man, you should come out for the football team. Now I'll tell you, man, if you've never played football, let me just tell you something. On a Friday when you kind of walk through the halls with your game jersey on, like you're a somebody, you know what I mean? Because there's only a limited amount of people on the football team. Now when game day comes, the people that come to the games, about 95% of them aren't even paying attention until there's a touchdown. And if you're a lineman like I was, they definitely don't even know whether you play or not. And so you can go and get all the accolades of being part of the team and wearing the jersey just by, by showing up to practice, getting rolled back and forth in the mud, never playing the game, and get all the praise and accolades of your schoolmates to make it seem like you're on the team. So we're at practice one day, and I had a coach that had a drinking problem. And I don't laugh because a drinking problem's funny. I just laugh because I can't imagine that they actually let a coach that had a drinking problem be a football coach. So when he was on a bender and he would show up, man, I remember this one day, he came out of the locker room, and, and, and he came out of the locker room up this little walkway up onto the field, and we'd be out there warming up and being hazed by upperclassmen because they allowed that back then. And, uh, and so he came out onto the field, and he used to always say, it's a great day to be alive. And, and, I, and whenever he said that, my stomach would churn because I knew what was coming next. And he'd say, today is going to be a hitting practice. That's what we're going to do. The whole entire time is we're going to hit. And so he got us all together. And he goes, you guys were doing a hitting practice today. Football is a violent sport. And if you don't want to hit, you can go home right now. I was like, I want to go home. (laughs) I was just waiting for someone else to do it, man. No one left. I was like, dang it. I'm stuck in this practice the whole entire time. Folks, football makes your head hurt. They used to do this thing where they put you in a circle and they call out numbers and you have to like, you're down on the thing and then you jump up, you got to find the guy and he's coming at you, just blasting you, taking you out. Why do I tell you that story? The reason why I wasn't a good football player is because I didn't enjoy the violence of the game. I enjoyed it, all the other things having to be part of the football team, being part of the team and wearing the jersey and being cool and all those other things, but I didn't love the essence of what the football team was about, which was violence sacrificing your body, hitting people. It's just not me, man. That's just not who, who I was. There's a sermon in there somewhere if you're listening. See, I, I know what death to self looks like because I know what selfishness looks like. 
And, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I'm 100% dead to myself. That'd be a lie. I, I'm, I'm more dead to myself than I was 30 years ago, but I'm not where I need to be. And I'm trying to do everything that I can within my life and, and, and before Christ to have him kill anything inside of me that is not of him. But I do know what 100% selfish looks like. Many people are not saved. Their idea of Christianity is that it exists to serve them. Their pleasures, their plans, their ideas, their hopes, their dreams. And when those happen, they lose the will to continue because they were never converted. And, and so when a preacher preaches, die to self, forsake all, and you're like, ah, I'm not really sure that's what I signed up for when I said I wanted to get my relationships repaired. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. See, in, in America, it's very hard because a preacher will preach, don't worship anything else. And we're like, well, there's no golden calf. There's no false idols. Yeah, but the, the, the idols of the American church are worship of family, yeah. worship of sports, yeah, right. worship of self, yeah. worship of money. Yeah. And so, and so whenever, whenever God is asking you to lay those things down at the altar, you hold them very dear and you say, well, I worship these things. I worship myself. See, people worship God to a point until it requires more than we're willing to do for the parameters that we set when we entered into the relationship. I want salvation, but not anyone that costs me. I, 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 want, I want the forgiveness, but I don't want one that actually requires anything of me after that point of forgiveness. Can I just get forgiveness and then go back and live my life to myself? That's something many people want to sign up for because they want to just be set free to go live the life that they want to lead. Now, I've been very honest with people in the past about this. My wife, been married, my wife and I have been married for 21 years. And after we've been married for about five or six years, I wanted to divorce her. And it was, I don't know, about 2004 or five, somewhere in that, in that area. You know, uh, I got out of the army. I'm working a full-time job, 50 hours, 60 hours a week while trying to grow a church at the same time. We got two kids in diapers and Crystal's suffering from panic attacks and she's got medication and all this other stuff. We literally would be like in the living room with kids crying and Crystal's in a ball on the floor just weeping her eyes out. And I'm just like, this is not what I signed up for. Not at all. Like, uh, come on, God, her job's to serve me. Her job's to do what I need. Like, and I thought she was perfect and she didn't have any brokenness. And now she's just as broken as I am. What am I going to do? I literally used to fantasize about driving south on I-5 to Mexico. I was like, no one will find me. I will rent surfboards. Like, I will do whatever it takes to not have to suffer up the pain of this relationship that I'm in that is requiring more from me than I thought that I was going to have to do. Sermon in there. Some of y'all's marriages just got fixed right there. It's not about you, man. Nothing's about you. Nothing's about you at all. People do this at jobs and relationships and commitments. It's totally fine until this isn't what I expected. Now listen, let me say this. So, like for things of God, you are unable to quit. Like the, the, the end is death, okay? But there's other things in your life that are, now don't use this in a marriage sense because you're stuck in that one too. But like, I don't want you to come out of this service and be like, man, I'm second shift supervisor. My job, my boss is abusive, but you said to endure, pastor, to go find another job, man. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, let someone else season those curly fries. You don't have to stay there. You go, go do something else. You know, the, 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 living for Jesus has enough endurance that you don't have to endure underneath a, a job that you hate, okay? Get some training, go find a new job. It's totally fine. But you cannot quit on your marriage and you cannot quit on God. It's an all or nothing deal. Now in Matthew chapter uh, 10, I want to read this to you. You know, I, I would really, really encourage you if you're not a daily Bible reader to do it. Because you'd be amazed that when you read your Bible every day how much God's word gets inside of you. And then you don't get nearly as miffed when the pastor's preaching stuff because you're like, I've read that before. But if you never read your Bible, you're like, what? All I heard was Jeremiah 29, 11. Behold the plans I have for you. <laughs> plans to give you a hope and not a future, uh, a future right? Yeah. It's a book. It's not a pamphlet, all right? <laughs> so in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 37, it says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Some of you are like, that's easy to understand. <laughs> and, uh, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. <laughs> this is serious stuff, Mikkel. Stop laughing. I can't help myself. Watch, this is the most important part. He who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I'll tell you right now, friend, I am not going to hell for my wife. And I'm not going to hell for my kids. And I'm not going to hell for you. I refuse to do it, man. I, I, don't, I don't care what people say or think about the fact that I'm a preacher that preaches the truth. My, my own kids' salvation experiences within our home begin with and my son. I remember one night, you know, and, and you can tell when someone's not saved. My son was not saved. And he's, I don't know, probably 12 or 13 years old. And I, I want my son to go to heaven. I don't, I don't want to give him some false sense of assurance that just because he goes to church... But I hadn't seen a change in his life. I hadn't seen him loving the word or loving going to church. I hadn't seen it. And I told him in the dark, we were hanging out. I said, son, you are not going to heaven because your father's a pastor. I said, you are dead in your sins. I said, you will go to hell without Christ. I said, you need to die to yourself and live for him. Now my son loves the Lord, man. He, uh, my, my kids get themselves up. You guys see, when we're out of town, they still come to church. That's not because we tell them. It's because that's their desire. It's the desire that's inside of their hearts. Can you say, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the fo folks, everything on the other side of death is a gift. Everything on the other, if you knew like, hey, I'm going to kill you, but now you get to live, everything on the other side of that is a gift because you deserve death. There, there's, there's so much that I uh, praise God for just for the fact that I'm not dead in my sins anymore. How, how can I not change my attitude, disposition, or life goals based on what Jesus has done for me? How can I not? 
He's done so much for me that there's, there, there, the, the, the reasonable response is to offer him my life as a living sacrifice. The Lord has need of it. He can have it. He has need of you. And there's nothing more important than your relationship with God. Jesus even said to his earliest disciples, people say, well, how come those disciples were able to do such great things? Because they died to themselves. Yeah. Luke 14, 33. So likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all, that he cannot be my disciple. Jesus even told his disciples, let the dead bury their own dead. Forget them. Let's go. Let's move forward. And I'll tell you, one of the hardest things for, for people to do is to die to themselves. Acts 21, 12, it says, Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we see saying the will of the Lord be done. Yeah. Now, if you don't know the context of that scripture, it's very easy. Paul had gone to a city and been uh, beaten and stoned for preaching the gospel. He came back to his fellow Christians and they were like, don't go back there, man. They're going to get you again. And Paul's like, what are you talking about? Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I'm, I'm ready to die for Jesus. I'm ready to die. For, what, do you guys want to sit here in comfort? I'm going back into the belly of the beast because there's people in there that need salvation. Yeah. And, then, and then a pastor comes and was like, hey man, we need you to, you know, uh, there's a word I'm taking out of my vocabulary in the church and it's volunteer. <laughs> volunteer is not a Christian word. Service is a Christian word. You don't volunteer like you're doing God a favor. I'll volunteer, God. I know you saved me and you set me free, but I will volunteer. Oh, give him. Oh, man, I'm going to serve Jesus because of what he's done for me. Paul's willing to die for the gospel. And the church is like, hey, man, can, can, you, can you give us some time in the children's ministry for the future of the church? And you're like, I'm not that dead to myself. Like, I, I know that there's an area of the church that needs some of my help. Like, folks, my goal for, for 2020, after we get through the campaign, <laughs> you're going to wish that it was just about money. Because <laughs> my goal, my goal for 2020 is to get every single one of you discipled and serving. Amen. I, I, I want to I have, you know, they always say... 10% of the people do 90% of the work. We're going to flip that thing, man. You better start praying now because it's coming in January. You better know. You're like, oh my gosh, Lord. You start serving now before you get there. Like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. It's fine. <laughs> How can we not? How can we not? Because here's the, here's the last point. That wasn't even in my notes. Amen. I know my wife will amen me. <laughs> Because here, here's the whole sermon. That was the intro, okay? The whole sermon is this, but you can't appreciate it unless you've been saved and you've died to yourself. If you're not, you have to get saved, you have to die to yourself, then you can give God glory. But, but if you can't give God a, a false sense of glory if you haven't been saved and you haven't died to yourself. It's the reason why many people struggle with worship. It's because they haven't been saved and they haven't died to themselves. They're worried about what other people will think or say about their voice, or they're worried about, like, I don't enjoy singing or whatever. Christ enjoys your singing. The Bible's very clear that we're to be worshipers. And, 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 and worship is one of the greatest ways that we give God glory. You'll want to lift up his name over all the earth because of what he's done for you. 
But if you have no desire to give God glory, it might be because you aren't saved and you don't have a desire to make his name famous based on your experience with him. God has done so much for me that if he never did anything else for me, I would be just fine. I don't need another prophetic word. I don't need a more tingly in a worship service. I don't need a thank you. I don't need an encouragement, uh, although they are nice. Christ did everything he needed to do for me on the day that he saved me from the law of sin and death. And that moment is more than enough to sustain me. You know, back in my football days, uh, (laughs) I got saved between my sophomore and junior year in high school. And so... Uh, I, I was, like I said, I was like 5'9", 165. Junior year, I was 6'5", and 215. I just was one of those kids that came back. And so they expected me to be better. And <laughs> I still was second string. <laughs> I, was a, I was a center, and the center's the guy that hikes the ball. So I had a towel, and I had wrist guards. And I had, I had more, I like walked like this because I had so many pads because remember, I don't like violence. And, and so... Uh, I wrote uh, Philippians 4.13 on all my pads and my towel. But what's really funny is I was so ignorant as a Christian, I actually spelled it wrong when I wrote it. Because um, I thought Philippians had two L's, but it only had one L. So once I figured out, it said P-H-I-L, big black square, 4.13, right? And so I started wearing all these pads. And I remember uh, kids would say things to me like, Philippians, uh, Phil 4.13, what does that mean? And I said, it means uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And these kids on the football team is like, apparently not play football though. Like it's, the only thing that happened is that they started calling me Phil. They're like, like, come on, Phil, you can do better than that. But in my small little, I got saved mind, I said, you know what? I owe it to God to give him glory. I owe it to the Lord. And, and some of those kids on that football team, uh, they may not remember, they, they, hopefully they don't remember how horrible that I was, but they do remember that I was a kid that was trying to follow Jesus. The Bible says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carve images. Folks, we may desire to give other things glory, but God will not have it. The first commandment is no other gods before me. Folks, you are the sole object of Christ's affection. How can he not be the sole object of your affection? And you must distance yourself from this feeling-based existence where the feelings wane and desire to give him glory wanes. He is worthy regardless of your feelings. He's worthy. And, and, and sometimes people think that because I'm a pastor, I'm like some super spiritual, never have a problem type of guy. And it's just not the case. You, like, I, I guarantee you that on some Mondays when you go to work, you're just like, here we go. And sometimes on a Sunday, I wake up in my bed and I'm like, here we go. And I do everything that I can to try to uh, uh, muster up whatever God is asking me to do because he's worthy. Because he's worthy to give uh, glory. He's worthy to be given praise. I don't always feel like worshiping, but he's worthy. I don't always feel like giving, but he's worthy. This is why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. 
Folks, your whole life is subject to his glory and your life gets right when you give him glory. And so when you think about the list that you have in your head of what your demands are and what you require and what you need, the only requirement that you have is that I want to be dead to myself and I want to give God glory. People say, why are we here? To give God glory. What's the meaning of life? To give God glory. God didn't create us for us. He created us for him, for his pleasure. And when you fully realize that you can give him glory for everything because he is worthy. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Everything that he does in your life is for his pleasure. And so when you think about anything good that you experience or everything good that you may have, you can think and give God glory for it because he's worthy. Amen? You think about it, and this is a little deep, but you know, he came for the Jews, not for the Gentiles, but the Jews rejected him, and then the Gentiles were opened up for salvation. It says in Romans 15, 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That, that was why the door was opened up to the Gentiles, for those of us that aren't Jewish, that we might give God glory because God just wanted more glory, amen? amen? Everything we do must be for his glory. When we buy people a gift, it's an act of thanks to say for his glory, amen? Now, many of you know this story, but I'll share it with you again. The, the AMC over there uh, is called the AMC because it's the Alexander Ministry Center. And, and, and um, I, the Lord laid on my heart when we bought this building uh, to uh, remember Jay and Shelley Alexander's contribution to the gospel by naming that building after them. And some people say, well, man, well, that must be nice. I'm like, yeah, it's probably real nice for them. Um, but here's what you don't see is what you don't see is that when I was 10 years old and I went to summer camp and Shelly was my very first camp counselor, she didn't understand that she was holding her pastor in her hands. Jay and Dan, when they became my friends, when when I was in uh, uh, elementary school, they didn't realize that they were discipling a young man that was going to be their pastor. And Jay and Shelly stepped up, man, first day, back in 2002, before this thing was even a dream and said, man, whatever it is, we'll do it. We'll take it. I mean, Jay, Jay's got a full-time job and he's you know, been my friend for 30 years and he lets me treat him like an employee and he doesn't get paid a dime. How can I, like the least I can do is be like, hey man, we'll just put your name on the building. And they were embarrassed and they're like, why you got to do this? Because I don't know any other way to tell you that I appreciate you. And, and if you ever wonder, do I appreciate, I, I don't know anybody who's got a building named after him. Nobody. Okay. But it was just a small token to be able to say, I just love you, man. And I appreciate the investment that you guys have made in my life. How much more so for the savior of our souls? How much more so for the one that actually saved us, that actually set us free? How much more so for his glory? Amen. People ask, why the campaign? Give God more glory so we can plant more churches so people can get saved and give him more glory. Keep this church intact. Give him more glory. Send out missionaries for more glory. More glory for God because he deserves it. Folks, I will preach my heart out 52 weeks a year for one person to give him more glory. I will work with kids, and I do. Worship, serve, whatever it is so that he can get more glory. Romans eleven thirty six. for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. 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 Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. Today is a great day to do it because I think that you might finally understand what the gospel is. 
saved from your sins, turning away from your sins, turning towards Christ. If you've never made that decision before, if you've never had a moment where you had sorrow over your sin and you realize, man, I'm an offense to God and you're ready to give your life to him today, you're ready to be forgiven and be set free, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. And if you've never made that decision before and you want to do it for the very first time, would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Don't let this moment pass. Thank you, Jesus. Now, maybe you've been far from God. Maybe you're just like, man, I've been out there and I have no idea where I've been. I've been far from God and I need him to forgive me once again. I need to come back to him. We call it a rededication. It's just you've been so far and you couldn't find your way back. Friend, he's right behind you. Just turn around and fall into his arms. He hasn't forsaken you. The relationship changed and it was you because you turned away. And so if you'd like to fall back into his arms today, rededicate your life to him, would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me as well? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see that hand. Hallelujah. Let today be the day, a line in the sand, where you'd say, "You want, Lord, I'm coming back to you. Things are going to be different after today. I'm going to serve you. I'm dying to myself. I'm living for you and you alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this word, Lord. Father, I pray that for all of us, as we examine ourselves, that we'd be found in you. God, those parts of our heart, myself included, God, that I need to die, let those things die. Father, we praise and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.